0: I don't. We'll just see, kind of feel how it goes. I mean, I feel like this is the time we need to discuss, so that would probably be okay. But we'll just feel it. Yeah, I mean, just we'll just sit and see what the spirit of God does. Right, right. Yeah, we'll just sit and see what the spirit of God does. But uh, the word, uh, but the word that. Uh, you spoke, bears witness, because it was about two weeks ago. I told Whitney, I said, I feel so much pressure that has just set down on me. I said, I've never felt the pressure um, like I was feeling. I mean, and it's like it just came out of nowhere. It was just just a, a huge, thank you, just a huge weight. It was, it was about two weeks ago now, I think, that it just set down on me, and I was just, like, overwhelmed, and I knew... In the back of my mind, I knew it was the weight of this prophet ministry that God had has called me to. And I can't explain, I mean, I can't tell you, I can't tell you everything about what that means, because I don't necessarily know what that, I don't necessarily know what it means, but I do know the weight that I felt was very real. Um, and so I believe it, uh, it makes sense and lines up with... Um, with what God has been speaking, and you know the Lord has spoken in prophecies. He says, "This is a day of transfer." He says, "I transfer the anointing from a for, to a younger generation." I think that was uh, the revealing of the Christ prophecy a year ago, ten twenty-two, I believe, is when that one. And that's what God said. He says, "I transfer the anointing to a younger generation from Moses unto Joshua." Uh, he said, "Just as I uh, transferred my spirit." In the upper room at the day of Pentecost, he said, "I transfer my anointing to a younger generation." I can tell you, when I was in Uganda, just the uh, and when I came back, I'm telling you, the spirit that sat on me was different, and it was like that. It was like I I was trying to tell. I don't think I did a good job. We were talking last night, and I tried to tell him. I was like, "It's just this thing's come out of nowhere, and it's just it's just there. It's not something you earn. It's just there." So, Justin, don't think it's something you earn. You know, don't think it's something that, I mean, yeah, we have to have God's favor and we have to be obedient, but don't think that you've got to earn this in order for God to give you this word to speak. You speak the word. You speak the word. It doesn't matter what your life has been up to this point. You speak the word. God's put the call in there. So don't be afraid to speak the word. You don't have to be fearful and think that you you don't deserve this or you didn't earn this. We already know we didn't earn this. God called us. Has nothing to do with the earning of it. it has nothing to do with uh, it being something that you know that we have done so many works that God's given it to us. He has called, and that's it. So don't don't think about that. And the Lord was giving me a scripture. He brought it back to my mind. Several. Uh, he gave me the scripture several years ago. Uh, me and Whitney were getting ready to go to uh, Brother Chris Harmon's church in Virginia. The Lord had told me to go there, I mean, it, and I don't usually call, I mean, I have lately, I guess, but I don't usually call people and say, I need to come to your church, that's just not, yeah, and I mean, God is, I'm trying to find the scripture, y'all forgive me, it's in First Timothy, but, uh, or Second Timothy, excuse me, well, we'll see, if I can get there, I thought I was looking at it, let's try it one more time, First Timothy, chapter 4. But uh, the Lord put this scripture in my spirit as uh, before we were going, because it was, at that time, that is, I knew the Lord was maturing me, this is 2014, it's fall of 2014, I think it was September, October, I think we went the first week of October that year, and, uh, hey buddy, yeah, thank you, I appreciate that, Uh, (laughs) but... Uh, the Lord spoke, that scripture, spoke a scripture that I'll read here in a second. And, you know, at that time, what I thought spiritual maturity was, for me, where I was, was being able to do my own, my own revival, more or less, is that I was, you know, I preached a service here and there, but I felt like, or the way God could relate maturity to me was I could do my own three-day meeting, and that would be a step in that maturity. And, I mean, it was. I mean, it's what God had us to do you know and that's how again that's how i thought maturity was supposed to be that was the step and so and we did and god i mean god used us and god spoke and but the scripture that he gave me was first timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 and i'm going to read through a few scriptures but starting at verse 12 let no man despise thy youth but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in charity, excuse me, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention, attendance, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the, by, by if I can speak, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And I believe also... Let's see. I I thought there was another place where he told Timothy again. He said, don't let anybody despise despise your youth but anyways that is that's the that's the thing is don't think that just because we're young that you can't speak the word of god i mean god has imparted and i mean this this if there's any need to uh confirm that vision or dream by the word he just says right here not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery." Well he didn't lay the hands on me, I guess in that dream I laid the hands on him, but that gift it transferred. Um, and so I mean it lines up with the word and with what the Spirit of God is doing, but don't don't think that you've got to be timid about speaking the Word of God just I mean it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't have to be timid just because we're young. That's not it doesn't matter how young you are. if God's speaking the word, God's speaking the word. And you've got to have that confidence and that boldness just to speak the word, no matter what. I mean, that's it. I mean, I have told him, and I mean, it's—I can't help it. I didn't do it, but it came on me. And I mean, I just told him. I mean, I can't—I can't help that. I wasn't trying to be rude, but you don't worry about that. You don't worry about being rude. You don't worry about being out of place, because if you look at—if you look here in these scriptures in First Timothy, if you go to verse five or right, excuse me, chapter 5, Paul tells him, rebuke not an elder. So he's given him, he said, look, you don't forget the gift that's put in you. You don't neglect it, and you don't ignore it because you think you're going to offend somebody because you're young. You speak the word of God. You speak it with boldness. You give yourself wholly unto it. But he also said, take heed unto yourself that you continue and to the doctrine. So you're not getting out from under the doctrine, right? Right? Said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. So we're going to continue in this leadership, following uh, the leaders that God's put before us. We're not getting out of it. But he said, and he says, in doing this, thou shalt most save thyself and them that hear thee. And then that's where he goes right into rebuke, not an elder. So he's telling you, don't worry about how young you are. Speak the word, but don't go and rebuke an elder because you think that you're right and they're wrong. He's saying. If God puts something in your spirit, speak it. Doesn't matter to who it is, okay? It doesn't matter to, to who who God tells you to speak to. You speak that word of God, but you don't rebuke an elder. There's a difference between speaking the unction of the Spirit of God and then trying to correct, uh, correct somebody, uh, and chasing them and give them instruction on how to walk with God. You're not giving them necessarily instruction in their day to day life, but you are. Uh, Like, God moved on me to tell them about the house meetings. I can't help that. I didn't know it was going to come out. And it wasn't like, you know, there was a tongue roll and a spirit of prophecy. All right? It 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 was nothing like that. It was, I was pulling in the driveway coming home from church, and God just spoke it to me. And I said, man, and I waited out for about 10 or 12 minutes. I was like, that is, I think I need to call them. And so I called them. And you can ask. I mean, the way I presented it, I said, "Well, here's something y'all might need to think about, right? It was not. This is thus saith the Lord. You need to do this. This was. Uh, here's something y'all might want to think about doing. Um, so, you know, we got you got to have confidence that the Spirit of God is in you, and it doesn't require. I mean, yeah, there's dedications, but you don't have to pray and fast over everything God deals with you about in order for God for it to be God. You don't have to, you've got to have confidence that that gift has been imparted into you. You've got to have confidence that God, somewhere, the upper room, God had to impart his spirit into them. All right? He imparted his spirit into them. Did they still go to prayer at the hours of prayer? Yeah, they did because that's what they were accustomed to. That was I mean, that was the day and time they were in. They were Jews that were newly converted, and so they still kept doing those traditions because they didn't necessarily know what to do, but they had to believe at some point that the Spirit of God was in them, that they didn't have to keep doing this, uh, I'm just going to call it earning a visitation or earning the Spirit of God. Somewhere it has to impart. You don't have to always be separated. That's the problem. Everybody thinks you always got to be separated from the Spirit of God, that you're never going to have it living in you, because if you, if you believe that you have it living in you, then it's going to be in you, it's going to be a part of you, and it's going to come forth out of you, it's going to become natural. And everybody wants to set the Spirit of God so far off where, oh, I am, I, I'm too sinful, I'm too ungodly, there's no way that God can speak in me, there's no way that God can live in me, but that is exactly what the kingdom of God is, is God living in you to His fullness. So you've got to come to a place and believe that God is going to live in you. Because if you're always expecting to have to pray or to have to find your way into God's presence, let's put it that way, if you're always thinking you have to find your way into God's presence rather than living in His presence, then you're never going to believe God can use you. Because you're never going to be ready. Because every time the, the opportunity presents itself for God to speak, you're going to think, oh, I'm not ready, I have to do this. In order to, in order to be ready. No. You're ready. If God is living in you, you're ready. And that's it. I mean, there's no, you don't have to press your way into the presence of God, press your way into the Spirit of God. Yeah, there's times where there's warfare, say in prayer, where maybe we have to do that. But if you are on the street ministering to somebody or in a service ministering, you don't have to sit here and go and press your way into the presence of God before God can use you. I was just in an apartment complex with college students this Monday night, and I talked with a young man for 20 minutes. And we talking to him about his life, his past life in church, and about his faith and about different things. And, you know, he was, he was basically just saying, you know, he just he knew he needed to get his life right, But he also knew that he was doing things better than a lot of people. And uh, he said he wanted to find his purpose. And so I said, okay. I said, well, that's what I want to help you do. I said, I don't care if you come to the church where I'm at. I said, "I, I want you to find a place. I said, I want you to find your purpose. I said, and if it's all right, I want to pray with you about that. And he said, sure. So I took him by the hand, and I probably prayed with him for about a minute. But at the end of that minute of prayer, the Spirit of God was so thick, I mean, I could barely get the words out of my mouth. It was so, I mean, it's like it is here today. It is so tangible and so thick. And when we got done praying, I mean, he wasn't boo-hooing, but I saw a tear creeping up in his eye, and he was appreciative that we were there. But I didn't have to stop and say, well, man, I'm not ready for this. I need to go and pray and fast for three weeks before, before I can do this. You're never going to be able to minister to lost people if you're always going to have to put yourself in a position where you can get yourself all sanctified. You should be living sanctified. You should be living in the Spirit. That is where do you what do you think the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden, the presence of God, was everywhere? So that is how we're supposed to live. That's how God ordained man to live. That's what God's plan is for man, is for man to live with the fullness of God in him at all times. But if you're always thinking you've got to press into that, you're never going to attain because you're never believing that God is imparting it into you. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? You're never believing the reception of the promise. You're being deceived because you're thinking the promise is always afar off. No, the promise is nigh. The promise is now. The kingdom of God is within men. List, I mean, that's what Jesus said. He said the kingdom of God is within men. And so that, I mean, I can't necessarily tell you every part of that, but I know that the authority and the word, the spirit of God and the kingdom is always there, okay? But there is a season in which God will manifest it. And now is the season in which God is going to manifest the kingdom of God, but it first has to be preached into all the earth for a witness, You've got to preach this kingdom. You can't sit here and preach the doctrines that every other church preaches because the doctrines are wrong. And I'm not bashing doctrines, but I've been around some different doctrines lately, and I'm telling you, they're not right because they're setting everything afar off. God is not afar off. God's not afar off. And that's the thing. Every doctrine puts God afar off where you can't attain unto to Him, where you can't have Him living in you. No, that's wrong. Everything is about after death. The only way that we can be glorified, the only way that we can be made whole is we must first die and then be raised up to go to heaven. No, that's a lie. Because that's that's not the manifestation of the kingdom. The reason Jesus was able to heal, the reason Jesus was able to do miracles, is because God lived in him. Okay? That was a sign of the kingdom of God. That's why he did those things. It wasn't... It was a sign of the kingdom of God. He came preaching the kingdom of God. And the reason he was able to do the things that he was able to do is because they were signs of the kingdom of God. They were signs. The kingdom of God is the reconciliation between God and man. That is the kingdom of God. Don't make it don't make it difficult. It is the reconciliation between God and man. When man was created in the beginning, he was eternal He was immortal, he was without sin, he was without fault, he was without flaw. The Spirit of God to the fullness lived in him. When man sinned, he separated himself from God, okay? Well, the only way that you can be reconciled back is if you undo everything that sin did. Well, guess what? Sin made man no longer immortal, made him no longer eternal, it made him carnal, okay? All of those things... It it brought in sickness, it brought in disease, it brought in murder, it brought in all these other things. So the only way to undo that, the only way that you can be reconciled back to God is if all those consequences are done away. So the carnal mind has to go, alright, the sin nature has to go, the mortality has to go. All of those things have to go because that you're not fully reconciled to God. If any of those things exist, because that's not how God created man. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do, is he defeated all of those things. He defeated the carnal mind. The Bible says that he defeated in his enmity the flesh. All right, I believe that's Ephesians 2, where it said in his flesh he defeated the enmity. We'll turn there real quick, and I'll find that verse. All right, Ephesians 2 and 15. We'll start at 14. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Listen to this. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Okay? To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. The reason there is peace in the spiritual mind is because there is no warfare going on with the carnal mind. That is what the peace is. Okay, It's because there is no warfare. There is war and there is peace. Well, the reason you can have peace is because he did what? He took of both, of twain, that means both, And made one new man. Okay. The only way you can be a new man. Is if you are spiritually born again. This body will not be made brand new. It will if we die. And it will be resurrected. And I can't tell you what form or fashion it will be resurrected in. I'm not too worried about it. But it will be in a spiritual body. Okay. It will not be this glorified body that is in heaven. Heaven is a spiritual realm. God created man to live on the earth. God didn't create man to live in heaven. What sense does it make for the promise of God to be in heaven if man created God on the earth? He said there will be a new heaven and a new earth. If everybody's going to be in heaven, what's the point of the new earth? What's the point of having a new heaven and a new earth if everybody's going to be stuck in heaven and nobody's going to be in earth? It makes no sense. Why would New Jerusalem descend down from heaven if everybody's going to be in heaven? It's got to come down. Why? Because God wanted man to live here. God created man here. Out of the dust of the earth He formed man. It wasn't out of the spiritual clouds and pixie dust in heaven. It was out of the dust of the earth that God formed man. So God wants man to live here, but He wants him to live here in His authority, in His dominion, in His kingdom, in His mind. That's what God wants. And the church is blinded because they're thinking everything is in heaven. They're thinking everybody is going to escape the wrath of God. They think everybody's going to escape the judgment of God because they're going to get caught away. And that's not, that's not scripture. It's, it's deceived. They've taken a spiritual thing and made it natural. They've taken what God meant to be a spiritual thing and they're making it a natural thing because instead of ascending in the spirit, instead of going to a place in the spirit, they think they're being taken away from the earth itself. Well that's not how it works. I can the dream I had a dream in two thousand I wanna say two thousand nine. It could have been two thousand ten. And I was in a I mean it was I was in a restaurant. It was like a Wendy's. That's just the way I the just the way it was made up seemed like a Wendy's. And there was a boy and his mother that came in that restaurant. And that boy was in a wheelchair, motorized wheelchair. And he was all drawn up and hands strunk, And, I mean, just, you know, just you could tell he wasn't formed right. I mean, probably seven or eight years old, but had a, you know, a leg about that long. And, you know, a foot that wasn't fully formed and hands and all that stuff and an arm. And so I started walking towards that boy. And as I did... And this is probably just the way the Lord spoke it to me. I don't know that there's any significance, I guess. But that boy, that boy cried out, but not like a good cry out, like the devil crying out. And so as I walked towards him, I got beside him in that motorized wheelchair. And we walked out, and we walked through a doorway outside. And when we got on the other side of that doorway, that wheelchair was gone. That boy was standing up perfectly whole. And it was like we were standing there, and my dad was right there as we walked out that door he was just like it's like he was waiting for me to come in or come out whatever to go through that door and it's like you looked across the face of the earth and it was just like a war zone just utter destruction but when that boy was healed it was the last enemy it was the it was the defeat it was the last enemy that was the entering into the kingdom of god because the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death That was the entering into the kingdom of God. That's where God wants to take us. And I was on earth. I wasn't caught up in the heaven. I was on earth. I was on earth. And then all I heard in the background was that song, How Great Is Our God, just playing. I could just hear it. And it was, I mean, my God, It was the last enemy was defeated. The last enemy was defeated. I'm telling you, we're on the verge of the last enemy being defeated. But my God, people got to know that it can be defeated. You don't defeat it by dying first. Jesus tasted death for every man. He tasted death for every man. He's the one. I know Scripture says that it's appointed unto man once to die and afterwards the judgment. But by God, when you get translated, you don't die. If you're going to get caught up in the rapture, you ain't dying. So don't be, don't think, don't let that doctrine fool you. When you get caught up in the Spirit, Okay, yeah, I know Scripture says it's appointed unto man wants to die. And guess what? If the Lord tarries his coming, you might. But when that spirit comes in, you ain't going to die. Don't think you got to die and go in the ground in order to obtain the promise of God. You might. It says that many fell upon sleep. But it doesn't mean everybody will. Because Paul talks about those of us that are alive and remain. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, amen, this corruptible shall put on incorruptible. This mortal shall put on immortality, amen, this death shall be swallowed up in life. And the stain will be fulfilled. Death, where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory? Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, man, this is what this is the promise of God. This is right here on earth. It ain't meant to be anywhere else. And people don't know that. People don't know that the promise of God is to men here on earth. They're sitting here looking for everything in heaven. My God, we got to begin to declare the kingdom of God that it happens right here. God is not too weak to defeat the devil. God is not too weak to defeat the devil. My God, God is not too weak. All right, to be able to heal people, to make them whole. He's not too weak to be able to do those things. My God, He gives us that power. He says the kingdom is within you. It's time to proclaim the kingdom of God, the hope of Jesus Christ, because people are sitting here looking for this thing afar off. That's not what God said. That's not His intention. That's where I'm looking. All right? Let's, let's start at, well, we'll start at, yeah, start at 51. one. First Corinthians 15 and 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. I think I said that wrong. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal Therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. go with me to First Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4 and 13. And I know these are familiar scriptures. But I ain't going to talk about them the way everybody else is going to talk about them. 1 Corinthians 4 and 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So that means those saints that are dead. That ye saw or not, even as others which have no hope. See, he's saying others have no hope. We have hope. All right? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3, it tells you that Jesus was crucified and raised according to the Scriptures. For if he, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, all right, mean, meaning the saints that are past, will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, so this is what Paul was talking about, we which are alive and remain, because we shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die. All right? This natural body will not all die. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So we're not going to stop the move of God because we're alive. We're not going to stop the resurrection of the saints because we're alive. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Well, Paul talked about the last trump. In First Thessalonians 15. So, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So, that is the first resurrection. Then we which are alive and remain, okay, now this is all happening, all right? He's saying this uh, back to back, but this is all happening at the same time, okay? When he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain, this is happening at the same time. "...shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." All right? Being with the Lord in the air means in the spirit. So we shall be caught up with the Lord in the spirit. Okay? Not the physical air, not heaven, in the spirit. We shall be with him forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." And I'm getting into territory that I don't mess with much, but Revelation, because I don't—I haven't studied this out in a long time, and I don't mess with it much. But go with me to the book of Revelation, and it's going to be chapter twenty. But I'm looking at twenty-one real quick. Okay, verse twenty. Excuse me, chapter 20. And we'll just start at the beginning. All right, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Okay, so y'all have heard pastors preached on this. And that is meaning he has the authority There's no literal chain. There's no literal key. There's no literal lock on the devil's tail. He's a spirit. He's a spiritual being. You can't lock him up with a natural thing. It is the authority of the Spirit of God that has bound him up. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, in their minds, or in their hands, which is basically saying the power, but it is, if you receive it in your mind, then your actions will follow. Okay? That's what that means. In the forehead is the mind, the hand is the power, or the actions in which you uh, proceed. So, if you have not received meaning you have not allowed it to possess you, allowed it to come in you, okay? then it will not act out. Jesus said, or John said in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he said, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So if you receive of that spirit and of that doctrine, you then have the power to become the sons of God. So if you receive of this mark, what we call the mark, was referred to as the mark of the beast, then you will become as the beast or whatever. You will become in that way. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Those are the ones that did not bow down. Okay, those are the ones that kept with the doctrine of Christ. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the beginning of that a thousand year reign that we just talked about, all right, this goes to First Thessalonians 4 with that last trump. Okay, that was the last trump. That was the seventh trump. Paul said it, 1 Corinthians 15, that is the last trump. Okay, all three of those are signifying the same thing. They are the same moment in time. Don't confuse them with different. Those are the same moment in time, okay? Hear me now. Same moment. Blessed is he, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, okay, those that were raised at the beginning of that thousand years, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now where are you going to reign with him? What sense does it make to reign with him in heaven because there's nothing to rule over necessarily in heaven? Right? He is is reigning here. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations. Well, guess what? If we're ruling and reigning in heaven, but the devil's also shut up where he can't afflict the earth, you kind of see the disconnect there. It, it really makes no sense that the Satan can't come and deceive the nations of the earth, but yet we're going to be ruling and reigning in heaven. But there's nothing going on in earth to that requires our ruling and reign. Y'all, y'all see what I'm what I'm saying? So, it only makes sense, if Satan's going to come out and deceive the nations, he's talking about the earth, so it only makes sense for us to rule and reign on the earth. Okay? So, he should be loose, go out and deceive the nations, which are the four quarters of the earth, which just means the entire earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and passed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right. And we can keep going on, I guess. And it's all a great. I saw a great throne, white throne, and him. And now, take, keep in mind, this is after the thousand year reign. Okay, this whole thing, it says, and when the thousand years are expired, this verse 7, Satan shall be loosed. Okay? And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. So this, this is the group of people that did not partake of the first resurrection. When it says the dead, it means all. All dead that were not a part of the first resurrection. Okay? So that means the dead. Because if you were part of the first resurrection, you were alive. Y'all got that? (laughs) If you were resurrected, you're alive. It means these people were not. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the judgment that the church is talking about that will take place, it's going to take place after the thousand-year reign. Okay? It's not going to take place before. The church says that there's going to be rapture. The church is going to get caught out. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. and uh, And then the wrath of God is going to, be poured out, and then you're going to have this judgment take place. No, there's a thousand years here to where you're going to rule and reign with Christ. And so we don't need to be uh, sitting here talking about preaching what is called rapture, where people get caught up out of here. It's all taking place right here. Okay? Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Because if Satan is going to deceive the nations, I mean, Satan has to be bound down here, not necessarily in heaven okay look look at what the scripture says i believe in matthew 16 i believe it says it it says that whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven why would he say bind it on earth and it be bound in heaven he's saying if you bind it while you are living here on earth then it will be bound in the spirit realm that's what he's saying if you loose it if you yield to it if you give over to it if you let it work On earth, then in the spirit realm, it will also work. Okay? So if Satan is bound on earth, then he is also bound in heaven, which is the spirit realm. That's what he's saying. That is what God is saying. It is the spirit realm that we're supposed to be living in. Well, my God, it's the spiritual realm. God didn't make man natural beings. He made them spiritual. All right? We just have a natural body to a degree. Because Paul says we will have a natural body, but then we'll have a spiritual body. Amen? Which is a glorified body, which is not what we get when we go to heaven. Okay? We're not going to get some glorified body when we go to heaven. That's not the end-all, be-all of what God's saying. I'm not telling you that you won't have some sort of form right up there. I don't know. But I can tell you the reason we'll have a spiritual body is because we'll be right here. Okay? Y'all understand me? You with me? Because that is what, that's what God is talking about. He's talking about, he wants the kingdom of God. Let thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In the spirit realm, God, let thy kingdom come in earth right here, right now. Why do we pray for it to be right here if everything is going to be up there? If everything was going to be up there, why don't we say, my God, let me go now? And I know people say, well, he gave you a charge to preach the gospel into all the earth. Yeah, he did, but he said do it for a witness. A witness of what? Of a sign of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist came preaching, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, Go and preach the gospel of the kingdom as a witness into all the world. Alright? The gospel of the kingdom was supposed to be preached. It ain't the bad gospel of repentance. Alright? Just preaching, you're going to die and go to heaven. That's repentance. Y'all with me? That is, that's repentance. That is remission of sins. That is repentance. John said, To believe on him which cometh after me. Okay? He said believe on him which cometh after. Well, guess what him that cometh after did? He preached the kingdom of heaven and he baptized with what? The Holy Ghost and with fire. It does not say tongues of fire. Tongues of fire is not in the Bible, that phrase. It is not in there. And I will I will the Lord dealt with me about that last night and I'm and I will show you because I want you to understand, there is a total difference between the Holy Ghost, be baptized with the Holy Ghost, and fire, and what happened at the day of Pentecost. Totally different things. And the Lord told you that, I think, a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I think in the beginning of a service, He told you. Okay. But I think also, going back, and I'll have to remember, I think in a New Year's service one day, His death, and being baptized. Right, and being baptized, yes, yes. So, look, looking at Acts chapter 2, we'll go there and we'll just, I mean, we'll just take our time. I hope y'all aren't in a rush. If anybody should be in a rush, it should be us, because we got two hours to drive back. But anyways, Acts chapter 2. Alright, I'm just going to start at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, rushing, not rushing, excuse me, rushing, mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. Now, anybody ever seen a fire? Alright, do, does the fire have tongues? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The flames. Each individual flame is considered a tongue. Okay, so tongues of fire means they literally saw flames of fire. Okay, not their tongues were divided. Alright, they didn't have a forked tongue. Because that word clothing means forked, split, right? It means forked or split. So they did not have a forked tongue okay they had a literal fire that they could visibly see set down upon them and i believe that is confirmed by hebrews where he said i shall make my ministers a flame of fire okay so that is not a tongue not a speaking with this tongue he's talking about literal fire and they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's a total difference. Tongues of fire just means literal fire sets down on them or in them, okay, where they become a flame of fire, like it says in Hebrews, and I believe he was referencing a a prophet before or a psalmist uh, before that, Uh, but it is not the tongues. The tongues was different. The reason the tongues were spoken on the day of Pentecost was to speak To the people that were there at that time. Because those people were Jews. Alright, if you go on to read verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews. Okay, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Well, they had all heard about Jesus. I guarantee you, in some form or fashion, they had all heard about Jesus. They had all heard about his miracles. They had all heard about the wonderful works he did. And they also all heard about his crucifixion and they probably most of them heard something about the rumor of his resurrection and his body disappearing so these disciples which had joined themselves to Jesus before he died okay they were in this upper room praying all right as it said they were all with one accord in in one place in one accord right so they were all praying seeking the promise which Jesus told them about in acts chapter 1 okay so When the Spirit of God came in, the witness that God could show those Jews that did not believe in Jesus and made a mockery and said, well, he didn't really raise from the dead, they stole his body, or he wasn't truly the Messiah, the witness that he could show was speaking with those other tongues. That's the way, that's why God spoke in tongues. It had nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Holy Ghost allowed them to do it, but it wasn't just because they received the Holy Ghost that they spoke in tongues. Okay, they received of the Holy Ghost, and the witness of the Holy Ghost, the witness of the resurrected Christ living in them, was the speaking in other tongues. Because those people would know, they don't know my language, how are they doing this? And it said that they were speaking in their tongues, and they said, How hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Uh, Verse 7, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, One to another, Behold, are not all these that speak. Well, I guess I need to start at 6, I'm getting out of order. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So these Jews that we were talking about heard every person speak in their own language. These were all foreigners, and when this was, uh, and they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, "Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans?" So they knew they were locals. Okay, and how here we every man in our tongue, wherein we were born. Skipping down to verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were able to hear, okay, they were able to speak those tongues in order to be a witness. All right, go with me to Matthew. So y'all understand that tongues of fire, that is a literal fire, There is no phrase Holy Ghost and tongues of fire in the Bible. Not that I could find. No. All right, Matthew three, verse eleven. Everybody there? Gospel of Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is John the Baptist. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, now I'm going to go out on a limb here because I hadn't really studied this out, but I do believe it lines up with Scripture, is that baptism of repentance is with water. Okay, y'all with me? He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. So when you repent, it's like Peter said, you repent and baptized and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. Okay. All right. So that is baptism with water. Now Jesus said, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All right. Baptism of the Holy Ghost is to purify and that is why there is a fire to purify, to get rid of the impurities. So, at the in, when Noah's day, God cleansed the earth; He washed the earth. In this day, God will purify. You understand what I'm saying? There was a washing of the earth in the beginning, in Noah's day. God washed it with water, but in this day, He will burn it up. He will purify, because the washing does nothing but an outward. It is a sign okay, of what we believe the purification. It is a step towards the purification, but it is a washing, all right? The purifying can only occur by fire. You can take a piece of gold and you can wash it off, but it can still have purity, impurities on the inside. It takes fire to purify. So therefore, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, okay, to purify his people. He said, I will purify unto myself a peculiar people. She just grabbed him by the head. <laughs> Not on purpose, but it was funny. <laughs> but it will purify unto myself a peculiar people, right? He said, I will purify. So that is trial by, you know, fire. Or what it says, in, I believe, 1 Corinthians 3, the day shall declare his work so as by fire. All right? The fire will declare what does he say? I will come as a purifier of silver, as a refiner of gold. All right. The days, uh, Peter and Second Peter says, the heavens shall melt away with fervent heat. Okay. So that is this is a day of fire. This is a day of fire. Okay. This is when the church will be purified. This is when the people will be purified. It won't just be a washing anymore. It's going to be a purification. That's what God wants to do. It's going to be a purification. So that is where you can't just sit here and accept that the baptism of repentance is all that's preached. All people are preaching. They say they're preaching Jesus Christ, but they're really preaching John because they're saying you repent, you turn from your sins, okay, and then that's it. Yeah, you're supposed to follow on to know Christ, but they're not taught about the purification. They're not taught that they can have the fullness of God live in them. Instead, they're taught that the fullness of God and the glorified body is in heaven. The church is deceived. And that's where those of us, we have to know the kingdom of God. Okay? And we have to preach the kingdom of God. I'll give you another one. Noah was a forerunner into the kingdom of God for his generation. Because he preached righteousness. He warned people of the wrath to come. And so God flooded the earth with water, cleansed it all. Okay? But Jesus Christ is our forerunner into the holiest of all. God said that we are forerunners, okay? So therefore, that means he has given us the knowledge of the kingdom of God. And like I believe Paul says in Corinthians, I have committed unto you the word of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, go with me there. I believe you are right. All right. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given given to us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, you see that. God hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now we talk about reconciliation. Is it the total undoing of everything that happened in the beginning? Is the total undoing of sin, which means bringing back immortality, eternal life, getting rid of the carnal mind? That is the reconciliation, and He did that by Jesus Christ, as Galatians four said. He made Him under the law that He might redeem them that are under the law. Okay, so Jesus Christ was as we are, but He conquered the flesh, he conquered the enmity, he conquered the carnal mind. Because he lived a sinless life, when he died, all right, the sins of the world were placed upon him because he was the lamb without spot. He went to hell to pay for our sins. This is something else that I also (laughs) believe the church does not teach, is that his soul was made an offering for sin, okay? And when he was resurrected, because he was resurrected because he had no sin. He died unto sin one time, which means he died unto the desire to sin. He crucified his carnal mind one time, okay? One time he died unto sin. He didn't die to sin and then go back and pick up sin. He died to sin once. And so when he went to hell, he took the sins of the world upon him, went to hell as a transgressor, okay? He did not have victory over hell because it talks about it in the Psalms. He said that... The pains of hell got hold upon me. The sorrows of ungodly men can pass me about. Alright? His soul was made an offering for sin. There is no sacrifice that I know that is rejoicing and triumphant. When you are a sacrifice, you are tied down. You are bound. Okay? When they offered sacrifice, it was tied down. It was bound until it was dead. So Jesus Christ died, went to hell, and because... He was that sin sacrifice because he had not committed sin. He was able to be resurrected out of hell. Okay? Y'all understand what I'm saying? He was able to be resurrected out of hell because he had not sinned. All right? God looked upon him, saw that he had not sinned, raised him up. Okay? So he was raised up like it it talks about in Romans 8 and 10 or 8 and 11. For he... well, We'll just turn there real quick. Keep Keep your hands in 2 Corinthians 5. Romans 8, verse 11. He's used to being in the nursery, so he's not used to being in service. Romans 8 and 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit. That dwelleth in you. Okay, two resurrections there. Alright, the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead. Alright, Christ, meaning the anointing, the spirit. He went to hell. His soul went to hell. Okay? Y'all with me? His soul went to hell. body was in the tomb. soul went to hell. Alright, he was tormented in hell. Then the spirit of God... I believe it's Psalm, I want to say it's Psalm 18, I might have it wrong, but it said, he bowed the heavens and came down, darkness was under his feet. At that time, that is when God looked down upon Christ, raised him up, alright, out of hell. So the spirit, the soul of Christ, was quickened by the spirit of God, came out of hell. That is when he took the authority over the devil. That is when he took the authority over hell. Okay? Okay? Then that spirit of him that was quickened by the Spirit of God entered into his body because he was made at that time a quickening spirit. All right. He entered into that body and he became one with that body. Therefore, that body is now immortal and eternal. Why? Because it cannot sin. It conquered the carnal mind on earth. All right. And then he conquered death, he conquered sin. Spiritual death is part of natural death. Alright? Man did not die spiritually, or man did not die naturally till he died spiritually. Alright? Everybody knows the scripture, Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death. Alright? So, when we sin or give over to carnality, part of us dies spiritually, and it also prevents us from being able to live eternally and immortally. Alright? But, it says here, If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. So, that means if the holy ghost dwells in you because guess what raised up jesus from the dead it was the quickening spirit all right god quick got became one with jesus christ at that soul because all right y'all stay y'all understand what i'm saying here when jesus was hanging on the cross what did he say what what did he say my god my god why hast thou forsaken me right so god the spirit of god departed from him because he became sin. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, we'll read here in a second. He became sin. So the Spirit of God departed from him. So he was now a man without the Spirit of God. He died. His soul went to hell. Paid for the sins of man. After he was there at the appointed time, the Spirit of God went down in him, quickened that spirit, gave him the victory over Satan, over hell, over death. That spirit entered into the body of Jesus Christ and rose the third day. Okay? So you understand what I'm saying? So that is what it's talking about. The whole the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, all right, is the spirit of God. If that dwells in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Meaning that spirit that quickened Jesus that gave him victory over death and hell, that is the same spirit that will quicken this mortal body. You understand? All right? He became a quickening spirit when he was raised from the dead. He can sin no more. He died unto sin. Death has no more dominion over Him. Death has no more dominion over Him. That means He cannot sin. Alright? He cannot die again. Because He's been born of God. He cannot sin. Right? Because the seed of God remains in Him. He cannot sin. And so we are to be of that seed. We are to be of that resurrected power. That is what God wants to birth in us. He wants to birth us again again. In our spirits, to where death has no more dominion over us. God visited me about that four or five years ago now. He wants to dwell in us, He wants to live fully. He wants the fullness of the Godhead to dwell bodily in us. That is His desire. Going back to 2 Corinthians. I don't get to do this much. <laughs> I can only go so much. Oh, but it's coming. It's coming. We pushed the envelope pretty far. <laughs> All right, verse seven, eighteen. All right, so he hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. All right. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So that is what he's given us. Now, let me ask you, what is the word of reconciliation? What's the word of reconciliation? What is the word? What do we preach? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. That is the word of reconciliation. He said, go and preach the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom. Repentance is not the gospel. That is repentance. That is repentance. John did not preach the gospel. John preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached the gospel of the kingdom. John said, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but he did not preach the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, the word of reconciliation, that God wants to reconcile God and man. There is no gospel of salvation. That is repentance. Repentance not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the kingdom of God. He has committed unto us the preaching of the kingdom. December 31st, or maybe I think it was December 31st, 2016, God moved and he said, or maybe it was January 1st, 2017, he t- moved on you and he said that it is up to the eight of us to share the gospel of the kingdom. It, it is it is, it is up, the, those of us that were there, God was saying it is up to us, and in meaning any of the believers that have the knowledge of the kingdom to declare the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, he he said that, that we are meant to proclaim that gospel of the kingdom. Okay, this is the time. This is the time. That is what he's wanting us to do. Now then, we are ambassadors or representatives for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray, you in Christ said, Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he has reconciled us. That's what you gotta believe. Brother Elders, that's what you gotta believe. And I'm not speaking to you specifically, I'm just saying you that's what you gotta believe. You gotta believe that God has reconciled You to him and him to you. Because if you don't believe that he has reconciled you, then you're never going to believe he lives in you, which means you're never going to believe he can use you. So you're never going to take any action for him to use you. Peter, I can see him, he was just tired of it when they walked up to the gate of the temple beautiful and they kept seeing this man bound, lame, asking for alms. I can see him, he just got fed up and he said, you know what, that's it. He said, the kingdom of God lives in me. So I don't have silver and gold for you, but such as I have in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Okay? So Peter was sick of it. He was sick of seeing the bondage. I'm telling you, that is that's what you gotta get sick of is you gotta sick get sick of seeing people bound and begin to proclaim the kingdom of God and believe that it is in you. Believe that it's been in you. Alright, I prayed for a man in Africa that was I think blind completely in one eye. And he told me he couldn't really see afar off. But I think it was the fact that he was actually blind because I prayed for him one time. And the man said that he could tell no difference. But I felt the Spirit of God just really moving in me. I said, well, can I pray for you again? He said, it won't hurt anything. I said, okay. And so I prayed for him again. And I commanded that eye to see. And when I was done praying that next time, I said, do you see any difference? And when I had gotten done, I think I had turned in some way. He said, I saw you turn. And he said, that is is different that is better. He said I he said I saw you turn. I didn't see you before. He said I saw you turn. So God I believe healed that man's eye. He gave him a miracle. But it's because I told him that God wanted to reconcile himself to him. That God wanted to live in him. And that as a sign that God wanted to live in him, God would heal his body. Okay? That's what you got to challenge. Is because people don't you got to give somebody a manifestation. Where they'll be able to believe. People make doctrines out of healings. Healing is not a doctrine. Healing is a sign to the unbeliever. Healing is a sign to the sinner to show them that God has forgiven their sins and that God wants to live in them. That is what healing is about. Healing's not a doctrine. Okay, people make it a doctrine. It is not a doctrine. Healing is a sign. It's a sign for those that believe not. That's why Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Stand up and walk. He said, that's why he said, which is easier to say. It's not because, as people say, the same faith that saves you is the same faith that heals you. That's not, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with showing a sign to that man that God has forgiven you of your sins. Be healed. Let the kingdom of God come and live in you. That's what it was a sign of. Okay? It has nothing to do with doctrine. Nothing. Do I believe God will heal believers? Yes, I do. Because it says he put gifts in the church. Firstly, miracles. Second, or firstly, apostles, prophets. Then after that, teachers, gifts of healing, right? Miracles, all right? So I do believe those are in the church. I do believe they are meant to edify the body of Christ, but it's not a doctrine. So don't get caught up on this doctrine where you can't go to the doctor, you can't do all this stuff. No, that's not, it was a sign to the unbelievers. That's why he did it. All right? Isaiah 53 is all the signs of the kingdom of God. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. All right? His spirit will give you peace in your mind. Right? He heals his soul, mind, and body. That is the purpose. All right? So that's where I'm going to wrap up today. But that's where I want you to... we got to begin begin to proclaim the kingdom of God. you got to begin to proclaim it. Uh, I'll give you a couple more scriptures, and I'm going to wrap it up. But Romans 10... Alright, everybody wants to use these scriptures as salvation. And, I mean, I do believe that they are salvation because of what they say, but it is not not—it is not repentance. It's not just repentance. It is about the kingdom of God. Romans 10 and 8. Excuse me, 10 and 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now that's a doctrine there too. I hear it too many times. People make people, when God deals with them, make them proclaim it publicly because it says they shall not be ashamed. Well, I can't really tell you that's the Spirit of God or not. Anyways, verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Well, I'll go back to verse 11. If somebody has really been saved, they're going to be shouting that the Spirit of God has saved them. It's not going to be something where you've got to call them out and say, tell what God has done for you. No, they're going to, if they're truly saved, they're going to to declare it. But anyways, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they then call, or how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now listen to this. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, who shall believe our report? What does Isaiah 53 say? For who hath believed our report, and into whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who is the power of God? Who is the kingdom of God revealed? So we are sent to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Not everybody is going to believe the report of the gospel of the kingdom, but he says right there, he references Isaiah 53. Why? Because that is the preaching of the kingdom of God, that he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, that he was wounded and smitten of God and afflicted, all right? that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That is the gospel of the kingdom. It is the manifestation right here on earth. It is talking about what Jesus went through to reconcile us back to God. It talked about the suffering he went through mentally. It talked about the suffering he went through uh, physically. It talked about the suffering of his soul being made an offering for sin. All right, we're just going to read it. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Talking about his power he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground all right think about that a root out of dry ground how is a root going to grow out of dry ground there's got to be moisture but god made that happen i'm telling you right now there is nothing but death around us all right there's nothing but death and dearth around us there's dry ground but because this is the kingdom of god it will prosper He hath no form nor comeliness. See, nobody desires, and I'm going to equate this to us, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Nobody desires what's going on right here, right now. Nobody wants to pull into this church because of how small it is or what's going on with it. Nobody wants to desire the way that we're walking, all right, because it doesn't look comely. It doesn't look good. It doesn't have the magnificent sanctuary. It doesn't have the flash and and the bang. It doesn't have all the stuff that looks good on the outside. Nobody desires this. But I'm telling you, this is the true way. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this is about the ministry of the Son of Man right here. Nobody desires the ministry of the Son of Man. Nobody desires to walk in this way. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, this is the way, all right? This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. This is the kingdom. Nobody is desiring this. Nobody is desiring this because this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. What we're doing right now, suffering the reproach, being cast out as evil, being made fun of because we think we're in the wrong way or people think we're in the wrong way, looking at a small church with hardly any people in it barely struggling to get by financially. I'm telling you, this is exactly what Jesus put himself through. This is exactly what he suffered for, for the truth. And God's going to raise us up. God's going to make this ministry come forth. I'm telling you, such saith the Lord, God's going to bring it to pass. Not because of anything we've done, but because it's the ministry of the Son of Man. This is the day of the revealing of the Son of Man. It shall come as lightning out of the east. It's time. It shall come and it will shine from one part of heaven to the other. It's right now. This is the day I decree it to be so Oh, hallelujah. This is the day of the revealing of the Son of Man. This is the day. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. People doing exactly to us what they did to Jesus. It's hard. It's a hard path. But they're doing exactly to us what they've done to Jesus. Just as he walked this earth, this is what people are doing to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God. Hold your peace. And don't fight against them. Don't fight against them. Hallelujah. Don't fight. Don't try to fight against them. Don't try to fight against what they believe. We know they mock us. They know We know they make fun of us. They know they make fun of the way that we walk. They think we're wrong because we've got very little, that we struggle so much. We have little financially. We have little naturally. We have little congregationally. We see little results in terms of people being saved or coming to the Lord. We see little fruit. And so they think because uh, the way is so radical and so different that we've gone off the deep end and we're walking in the wrong way. But I'm telling you, this is the way. This is the way, this is the ministry of the Son of Man because this is the way that Jesus Christ lived on this earth. This is it right here. This is the way. This is the way. He is despised and rejected of men. Every one of us, if you stuck in with this word truly, you've been despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Everybody that doesn't believe this way is hiding their faces. They don't want to be around us because they think we're a reproach. He was despised and we esteemed him not. There is no esteem, there is no respect for this way because people think you've gone off the deep end. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. If we have not fought for the people everywhere, the people that are bound, I'm telling you, those people that are bound in religion, that aren't far from this area, they're bound in religion, and we have borne their griefs and carried their sorrows because we want to see, see them delivered from that bondage. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So they think we're in the wrong, that God has smitten us, that we're afflicted of God because we've done wrong. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Yes, we did not pay for people's sins, but you understand what I'm saying. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. We are healed. It's not that we have done all this or that we've earned all this, okay? Jesus Christ was the only one that could do that. But what I'm saying is that the ministry of the Son of Man is manifested right here because these are the very things that Jesus Christ did in his life on this earth. All right? This is the ministry of the Son of Man. It's taken walking this path to get the ministry of the Son of Man to come forth. It's taken walking this path. This is the only path that will bring forth the ministry of the Son of Man, is walking in this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is going, and again, I'm not relating this to us. I'm talking about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he openeth not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Hallelujah. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. I'm telling you, Isaiah is asking the question. He said, Who shall declare his generation? Who's going to preach the kingdom of God? Who's going to preach it? Who's going to preach the kingdom of God? Are you going to preach it? Are you going to be sent? Are you going to let God send you? So how should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach unless they be sent? Are you going to preach? Are you going to declare this generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living... For the transgression of my people was he stricken. My God, if you can see this, he is asking. He's saying, Jesus Christ has been cut off. Who's going to carry on? Who's going to take on what he could not finish? Alright, his appointed time was not to finish this. He was to be cut off. Alright, it was his purpose to be cut off. God cut him off for a reason. So that we could declare his generation. So that we could declare the birthing of the kingdom of God. That's why he was cut off. It was not an accident. It was on purpose that God cut his life short. And he made his grave with the wicked. This is him going to hell. And with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. This is talking about his suffering in hell. He shall see his seed. God saw the seed of God in Jesus Christ. All right, he said, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Meaning, that's where he's talking about raising him up. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, meaning the mind, okay, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered, meaning considered a transgressor. It doesn't mean necessarily that his days were numbered with the transgressors, but he was considered a transgressor. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. I'm telling you, this... Is the ministry of the Son of Man. Yeah, we're not going to be the sin sacrifice. But the way he lived his life, walking this path. Yeah, it's been a hard path, but I'm telling you, if you've stuck with it, this is the day the ministry of the Son of Man is going to come forth. This is the day because we've lived it this way. Because we've lived it this way. This is the day. This is it. So get ready. Don't think it don't think it's a way. don't think it's a long way off. It's here. It's here. It's time to begin speaking it. Justin, it's time to begin speaking it. I'm telling you, it's time to get up and be about the Father's business. Do what I told you to do. Start that Bible study. Find a way to do it. I don't care how you do it. I don't care which way you start it. You start it. You run it your way. You run it the way God tells you to do it. I don't care what anybody else says. It doesn't matter to me what your parents say. God ain't concerned about them. No offense to y'all, but it doesn't matter. This is God's calling for His life. You stay out of it. You You don't influence Him. You don't interrupt it. You let God speak to Him, and you let Him follow it. Just like you've got to let him grow up and be a man by himself, you got to let him grow up in the Spirit by himself. The man shall leave his father and mother, shall be cleaved unto his wife. He is going to be cleaved unto the bride of Christ right now. You leave him alone. You leave him alone. You let God work in his life. You don't influence him. You don't try to control him. It's his life. It's the call of God on him. You leave him alone. You don't touch it. I don't care what kind of hurt or upsetness it has. You leave it alone. You don't touch it because you don't want to be fighting against God. So, Justin, you do it. You don't. When I told you pray about it, I meant you figure out how to do it, okay? Not, not whether it's the mind of God or not, <laughs> which I, I don't know how you took it, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> you figure out how to do it, okay? God's not mad. I'm not trying to sound mad. I'm just saying you figure out how to do it. Not figure out if it's the mind of God. I can tell you it's the mind of God. And I believe you know that. <laughs> I believe you know. But, my God, I didn't expect this. <laughs> Woo. I didn't expect this at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm done. But I do ask that y'all pray for us and just help us because where we're at is not easy. Um, it's, it's not an easy path to walk. Uh, yeah, go ahead and